This is the second part of our series on fasting, and so we're going to jump into that here in just a minute, so let's pray and we'll do that. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to be reminded of who you are, what you've done for us, that you are a God who is present, who is near, who we can pray to, who we can seek, and you desire us to seek you with our whole hearts. And so I pray that uh, you would help us uh, to do that, give us strength to do that. And in so doing, I pray that we would experience your kingdom, your rule in ways that are refreshing, encouraging, and strengthening so that you would be glorified and it would be good for our lives. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's not totally lost on me that we're having two sermons on fasting the week before and the week after Thanksgiving. Amen? Okay. Also, the introduction uh, illustration I had this morning is, is, is food-related as well, so that's a bit ironic, I thought. But this morning's sermon is going to be like a buffet. Okay, so buffets are kind of weird. I don't necessarily love eating at buffets a lot, but every once in a while it's good for me to go to a buffet. I usually like a meal to have an organization, you know, and to kind of all work together. You can go to a buffet, you end up getting like a drumstick, a piece of sausage, you know, a pancake, and then an ice cream cone. And you show up at your table like, how, how did this happen? But you love it. So anyway, it's going to be a little bit like that this morning. I kind of want to wrap up um, uh, before we get into Advent in the next few weeks uh, fasting. I just kind of want to run through kind of six ideas about fasting that are related, of course, because... The two kind of overarching things about fasting is that we are learning to deny ourselves in order to experience more of King Jesus, but also for the benefit of others. So in this, this sermon series about kingdom practices, it's, a, it's about us connecting more deeply with the Lord for sure, uh, but we've said over and over again, if these practices aren't causing us to become a more loving person, more connected and rooted in the community of faith in the church, then the, the practices are in vain, okay? And so we want to experience more of Jesus that we might love more like Him. And so certainly fasting is a part of that. And these six things here this morning uh, will fit into that. And so let's just jump right into the first one. Fasting as an expression of self-denial. And that's the Scripture we just read right here. When you come to Jesus, you are coming to Him as one who came announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the it, you know, it is not an overstatement to say that what Jesus accomplished was earth shattering. I've never done anything earth shattering in my life. <laughs> Only Jesus has. He's come to bring a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. And when he rose from the dead, that was the, the dawning. It was like the invasion of the world to come into our present age. And so right now we're living in the overlap between when Jesus inaugurated this kingdom and the, you know, the old age is kind of like old and gasping and dying. John, 1 John 2 says that the old age is like darkness that is passing away, and behold, the true light is already shining. That's where you live. That's where we as Christians live, in the dawn of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is like a constellation. You know, when Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God, there wasn't like any one um, you know, you can't go to the Old Testament and find kingdom of God, and here's the list of it. But when you put it together, this is what Jesus was announcing. The return of God's anointed king. That's him, long prophesied. 
the defeat of evil and God's enemies, the return from exile, like a second exodus, the, the people of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and then God came and rescued them. That became like a type, a format, a paradigm of what Jesus was doing from delivering us ultimately from sin and slavery and death. A new covenant was coming. He's going to pour his Holy Spirit out on everybody, old men, young men, uh, old women, young women, everybody. It's going to be a new temple. The forgiveness of, and final of all sins. You wouldn't need sacrifices anymore. The whole concept of resurrection was part of the prophecies about the kingdom of God. International blessing of God. It wasn't going to be just for the Jewish people. The old promises made all the way back to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. An institution of peace and justice and plenty. And finally, a whole new heavens and new earth. That's what Jesus came announcing. It's like, okay, you know, we got to make sure that when we're, you know, we don't want to, in a sense, uh, contextualize Jesus so much that it's like, oh yeah, everything that I'm currently experiencing is what I'm supposed to be experiencing. Not like tacking on a little bit of Jesus to our, uh, you know, our customary life. No, the announcement of the kingdom of God is like this earth-shattering thing. It's about making the world new, and it's about making you new. And so then with this announcement, what did Jesus tell people to do? How should we respond to this powerful announcement that the kingdom of God is here? And by the way, the announcement in 2023 is as relevant and as real as it was the days Jesus was in Galilee. The kingdom of God is here. So how should we respond? Mark chapter 1 is very clear. After G John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That first word, repent. So the whole kind of response to the reality and power of the kingdom of God is that I need to change my mind about my current life, which is not always easy to do. Amen? Okay. There's a whole reorientation of my life. It literally is a new world, a new realm. And so then we ask questions like, well, what about my reputation? What about my family? What about my loved ones? What about my status? What about my wealth? Yeah, <laughs> those are all the right questions to be asking because it's a whole new kingdom. I mean, I think of it in terms of like, almost in our country, like civil war, you know, north and south. If you were in the south, like a lot of the way of the life of south was altered and changed when that happened. The passage we read from Matthew chapter 16, if you're coming to follow Jesus, be an apprentice of Jesus, there's a sense in which my, you know, kind of like my whole life is about denying myself which is very contrary, you know, the world today is saying to, you know, to take, to be myself, I need to express myself. To find my life, I need to express myself. And Jesus is like, no, if you really want to live, if you really want to know who you are, he says, deny yourself. And so fasting then is like, and this is something, this, actually this whole point is, Pastor Dave's. <laughs> As we talked, this was something he was passionate about, and I was like, oh yeah, that's really good. That needs to be said. It kind of frames this whole fasting practice. If, if fasting is 
abstaining from food primarily. You know, we talked last week, there's other ways that that can be expressed. Check out Sermon Plus, but it's primarily abstaining from food, something that's good, so that we might, you know, hunger more deeply for God. That makes total sense in the framework of a discipleship where I'm saying, you know what? My whole life is being surrendered. I am not saying whatever I want, whatever is earthly, selfish, proud, any of that. I'm saying no to that. My whole life is saying no to that. Martin Luther famously said that the whole Christian life is one of repentance. And so fasting is just one part of a whole apprenticeship framework to Jesus where we're learning to say no to ourselves. Now, that can, you know, I realize at 8.30 on a Sunday morning after Thanksgiving, that can be a little strong. It's a little high octane for you, okay? <laughs> I get it. But this is the kingdom of God, friends. If you're new to Jesus, this is what He's calling you into. If you're in Christ, it's very easy to become complacent over time and think that, well, you know, and again, the older I get, the longer I've been a Christian, sometimes the harder it's like, oh man, now some of the mistakes and patterns of thinking I've had, I've had for a long time, and it's honestly more embarrassing if I have to change. Well, too bad. I'm just saying, I'm saying to myself, too bad. It just means I've been doing the wrong thing for a long time, and I need to repent, and I need to continue to grow, and I want to grow. And so, you know, fasting then just fits. It just, it makes complete sense. Now, that being said, when Jesus is calling you to deny yourself, I love that he, the way Jesus does this is he's never, Jesus is never dour. He's not just like, say no to yourself because it'll be good for you. <laughs> he says, say no to this world so that you can experience the fullness of the next. Pastor John Piper said, say no to tin so you can say yes to gold. There has to be you know, the, the selfishness, the pride, the, the temporary nature, all of that stuff needs to get out of us so that Jesus can pour into us his presence and power of new creation. Things that you will really want and things that will really bring satisfaction. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here. Lose your life so you can actually find it. And so the first thing when we think about fasting, we need this kind of like this entire framework of recognizing that apprenticeship to Jesus all the way through is learning to say no to the earthly, worldly, temporary, primarily physical maybe, selfish and proud desires that exist within me. And as I follow Jesus, I'm gradually saying no and no to that. And as those things say no, then he is gradually filling me up with his yes his righteousness, his joy, his peace, his love, his wisdom, his power. And fasting is simply a means of training ourselves to do that. Secondly, fasting becomes an aid for humility and repentance. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
Daniel here was longing for the fulfillment of the promises of God about the coming of a new kingdom. So it's very parallel to where we live. Now Christ has come. We do have the presence of the Holy Spirit in ways that maybe Daniel didn't. But we too are sitting in a position where we are longing for the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to us as his people for the coming of a kingdom. And Daniel looked at his current circumstances and like, it's not fulfilled. And we look at our circumstances and say, well, it's already fulfilled, but it's not yet fulfilled. And so there's a tremendous parallel between what Daniel is experiencing and what we should be experiencing as the people of God. Someone asked me a question earlier this week, a really good question. They said, well, if God already knows our needs and he has given us the Holy Spirit and he said he would, would answer our prayers, then why would we fast? And I, I think the answer to that is a couple of things. Number one, I think there's a mystery to prayer. Number two, I think that prayer and fasting is, is a lot more relational trans, than transactional. Let me say that again. God isn't interested in us just like having this transactional, I ask, he responds. He's interested in relationship with us, our desires, what we're longing for, wanting him above all, as we just sang. And so you could, you could have said the same thing to Daniel. I could imagine some people coming to Daniel and being like, Daniel, you're kind of overreacting here. Didn't you just say you already read in the books that 70 years is up and Daniel knew that the 70 years is up? So why are you like getting all the sackcloth and ashes and fasting and all that? God already said he's going to do it. Because they're, you know, Daniel, I, listen, I, I wouldn't be the guy going to him saying that. But <laughs> Daniel understood and recognized that God answers these prayers and brings these fulfillments about through means, which could be prayer and fasting. And so one of the things that we need to recognize that fasting does for us is it becomes an aid for us in repentance in humility. There's a quote from a pastor named Rich Viotis. He says this about, in fasting I'm stripped, I'm, I'm being stripped, oh, I, I wrote that down wrong, I'm being stripped of all the ways that I've been dependent on anything other, man, I gotta fix that, come to 945, I'll really fix this slide. Anything other than God, how can I not throw myself again on utter dependence upon God? What he's saying, if it was written correctly, <laughs> is what fasting does for us is it strips away all of the distractions and ways that we comfort ourselves. I'll give you an illustration. There is a very important um, parenting strategy that you need to have for little children, and it is called the art of distraction. <laughs> okay, <laughs> When they're doing something that they shouldn't, you distract them with something else. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to make this apparent. I mean, there's, that can be a useful aid. You do that long enough, though, and you never deal with the real stuff, okay? Same thing here. When we have pain, when we have something that we are convicted about, that thing comes to us, and then we just go have a meal, or we just go watch a movie, or we just start scrolling on our phone, or we answer the next email, or we do the next thing, and we never create time and space, and feel it in our body. Daniel created time and space. He was an older man in his 80s at this point, longing for God to fulfill his promises. 
And he set aside time and space to get alone with God and to be humbled. And what's interesting about Daniel is I don't even think he was the one doing most of the sins that Israel did that got him in that mess in the first place. And so fasting becomes a means, it becomes a tool by which we can be humbled. Andrew Murray has a wonderful quote about the value of humility. Humility is the only soil in which the graces root. The lack of humility is a sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Humility is not so much a grace or a virtue along with the others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. So crucial. You know, it's so easy to breeze by things and not see and feel and appreciate and appropriate things that we need to do. And when you fast and pray, it, it kind of puts you in this posture of humility. And humility is the soil in which all of these other graces can grow. It's no accident that Jesus said in the first thing in the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that he would preach over and over again during his ministry, blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Humility is your greatest friend and pride is your greatest enemy. And fasting can cultivate humility. So fasting as an expression of self-denial, fasting as an aid for humility, fasting as an aid for overcoming evil. Mark 9.29 After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it, an evil spirit, came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And that's where most modern versions stop. And then I put in brackets there, and fasting, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So here's a very touching emotional scene there was a father who brought his son who, had, who was physically ill and also spiritually ill because he was oppressed by an evil spirit. And so, you know, as a, as a parent, you can definitely connect with this and you're saying, this situation has overcome my child for ill. And you can feel that, right? And maybe you could apply this to anyone in your life that you love parent, child, brother, sister, friend, whoever, and you see that there are the harmful effects of evil in their life, and they're just like there's nothing you can do. You've tried doing what you can do, and other people have tried, and it's just like it, it's just a barrier. And so Jesus was away at the time, and this father brought the child to the disciples of Jesus, and they tried casting out this evil spirit, and they could not. And then Jesus does cast out the evil spirit, as you see there at the end of the story here. And then the disciples say, well, hey, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. There's a kind of evil that is more deeply rooted in us than is within kind of like normal capability of getting rid of. And Jesus says that it only comes out by prayer. And I think the implication there is fervent prayer. I don't think, you know, there is, you do know there's different kinds of praying, right? It's not all the same. We don't pray for all the same things in all the same ways. 
Again, we try to, sometimes we think our relationship with God is very mechanical and transactional, and God is re- reminding us over and over, every time we bump into prayer in scriptures, it's so relational, it's mysterious, and it becomes the means that God acts. So, what's the deal with the and fasting? Well, in all honesty, a few years ago, when I wasn't so keen about fasting, I preferred the shorter reading <laughs> because it supported my own inclination view at the time. Now that I'm seeing more of the value of fasting, I'm a lot more open to it being there. So it's like, well, what, what's going on there? So I, I can't give you a, a whole lesson you know, on like Greek manuscripts, but I'm just going to do it in like one minute. And if you have questions about it, and you want to know how it actually works, how we actually got our Bible, I'll be happy to take some time and explain it all to you in more detail. Maybe, maybe a sermon plus thing. Your Bible is made up of various Greek manuscripts that scholars from Europe and the United States for hundreds of years have analyzed together, and they have chosen the ones that they think are most reliable. That's how you got your Bible, okay? It didn't drop out of heaven with your ESV, Okay? And usually the older manuscripts are more reliable, which makes sense because they're closer to the original, right? So I thought, well, the and fasting must be a later reading if a lot of versions don't include it. And when I went back to look at the evidence again this week, it was like, oh, actually, no, there's like a third century reading of this, which is pretty old, okay? Most of what you have is a fourth century reading. Uh, uh, document that a lot of your New Testament is based upon that you carry with you. This is a third century reading. So I just want you to know there's like a, like scholars are basically 50-50 on this reading. Does it include fasting or does it not include fasting? I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we know from other places in scripture that fasting is an amplifier. See last week's uh, sermon. Fasting amplifies our prayers, and so if there's certain kinds of evil and uh, brokenness that you're facing in your life, Jesus is coming to you as one of his followers, one of his apprentices, as he said to those people in Mark chapter 9, his disciples, and saying, hey, this requires fervent prayer, and we know that fasting is a means of adding fervency to your prayers. And that's backed up with a very ancient reading here from Mark 9. Again, and again, I can't prove it. I wish I could. But you need to know that fervency adds power to your prayers to overcome evil. And there is strong evidence that that's what Jesus was, in fact, saying here in Mark 9. Another place, you know, in uh, Acts chapter 12, they had seized Peter. They put him in prison. They delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Again, and we know that Peter then was delivered from those four sets of guards. And so friends, if you're facing this evil and brokenness in your life, and you're an apprentice to Jesus, we're here in this whole sermon series on fasting, I am really encouraging you to give yourself to that as part of the means of which you're looking to overtake that and break through, is to give yourself to fervent prayer with fasting, with brothers and sisters, 
until you see the breakthrough. I'm not saying that's what I would do. I'm telling you that's what I am doing. There are certain situations that I'm looking at that are outside of my control, outside of my power, and this is where I'm going. And I won't let go if it's God's will until He says yes. So prayer, fervent prayer and fasting is an aid for overcoming evil. Fourth, fasting as an aid for direction and power. And this is from Acts. Again, we see in the example of the early church of, of fervent prayer for sure. Now we see fervent prayer specifically with fasting. In Acts chapter 13, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All of those names are specifically given for a reason. It shows the multi-ethnic nature of the church in Antioch, which is beautiful. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so probably some type of corporate gathering similar to what we would have here, where there would be singing and praying and the reading of Scripture. They were worshiping the Lord together, and they were fasting as a group. The Holy Spirit spoke. Wow, stop right there. Christians gathered in the name of Jesus, worshiping, fasting, which is a longing for the fullness of Jesus' presence to be made known, added to their fervency of their prayer. And in that situation, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate for me or set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying some more, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14 is a similar verse. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It was a common church, specifically I would say here, there's application for church leadership to be men and women who fast and pray for the direction and power of the Holy Spirit upon the church. I mean, do you know how strategic it was for Paul and Barnabas to be set apart? That was the first quote-unquote missionary journey. That was the first time the good news of Jesus fully and freely went to the nations. How did it start? The prayer and fasting of the saints. And so, again, if you're a person and you're looking, man, I need direction. I need insight. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Fervent prayer and fasting as an aid to the prayer. Again, the, the whole point isn't just like fasting is the key for everything. Prayer is the key for everything. And fasting can be a means, or it is a means, it's an aid to our prayers to amplify them. And we see example Again, I've shown you four examples now of the whole thing is self-denial, how fasting is a, an, ex, an expression of that. Fasting is a means by which your humility and repentance can be cultivated. It's a means along with your prayers to see breakthroughs over brokenness and evil. And now here we see fasting as an aid to direction and power. Fifth. Now we're just adding the pancake to the plate here. <laughs> you almost made it. We're rolling. Fasting 
in connection with love. I kind of save this one toward the end because some of the first few points can be kind of individual and they need to be. But here, we need to see that when fasting is talked about either in the Old Testament prophets or even Jesus Himself, it is regularly in connection with love for our neighbor. And going back to the introduction, this whole sermon series on the practices, if our practices don't cause us to become more people of love, then they're in vain. 1 Corinthians 13, you're just a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And so in Isaiah chapter 58, we read this verse a little bit last week, but I want to expound on it this week. The nation of Israel, they're also they're facing exile, and they say, why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? You see the connection again between fasting and humility? It's an assumption. <laughs> see point two. If you want to become a more humble person, open yourself up to God. Fasting is a tool for that. Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't take any knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, this is the Lord's answer, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight, to hit with a wicked fist, Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is not... Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, that person who is poor and naked in the covenant community there is your own flesh, he says, your neighbor. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. So new city. It's not, you can't even really, you know, these, these kingdom practices all kind of like weave together. You can't even really have a conversation about fasting if you're also not having a conversation about love justice, and charity. And Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, He puts these three virtues together in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about prayer, not being pretentious. He talks about fasting, not being pretentious. And then He says, when you drop your coin in the offering, make sure it doesn't clang around. <laughs> not being pretentious with your almsgiving. I have a quote here from Augustine who said, I love this, fasting and almsgiving are the two wings of prayer that bring our petitions before God. So he's not saying that loving your he's he's using a he's using fasting in a, as a symbolic the prophet Isaiah is using it as a metaphor for hey don't deprive yourself of food alone expecting that God will hear your voice when you're actually not giving food to people who need it and so this is almost like a whole nother sermon on a whole nother topic but it needs to be said that you're fasting, you can't, you can't do the self-discipline practice of fasting individualistically, ignore 
those who are in need and then expect that that type of fasting is going to cause your prayer to be heard on high. There needs to be an integrated, holistic approach as a follower of Jesus that you love those who are in need, you are willing to fast, which is a form of sacrificial self-denial, by the way. And as you give yourself to them, and as you give yourself to fasting, this is you saying, not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer that's offered, and it is heard on high. And the Lord stands ready to hear the voice of New City and say, what do you need, New City? I see that your heart is for the poor and for the needy. I see that you want my will more than your own. I hear your prayer. Here I am. What do you need? And we are heard. Amen? And so fasting is done in conjunction with love. I would say this as well. I mean, I think this whole category of caring for the poor, it's a whole huge category. But in this passage in Isaiah, it was the nation of Israel first and foremost that he's talking about. They were the people of God. They were called to love their own. Let me just say it this way. New City as a church, we need to care about other churches who are in need. This is one of the reasons why we have international connections. We can't say... Oh man, we're fasting so the Lord will hear our prayer here at New City and not care about India and not care about Haiti and not care about our brothers and sisters. Our own brothers and sisters. Around the world. We can't close our eyes. It's not my problem. God has called us not to meet every need, but the ones in front of us, we cannot ignore. And say, well, we're, we're doing this really cool sermon series on fasting. <laughs> and we could have other conversations about what that means for our neighbors who are not necessarily in Christ with us and how we should love them as well, for sure. But definitely, Galatians 6 says, do good to all, especially the household of faith. And so fasting always need to be done in conjunction with love of neighbor. It's not either or, it's both and. And now finally, the last one, we made it. Here's the ice cream cone on top. Fasting, we've said, is this longing that we have for Jesus to come in His fullness. Your kingdom come. We said it's the amplifier to the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In all of those ways, that, that slide about the, the constellation of the kingdom of God, Lord Jesus, come and do it. That's what prayer and fasting is. But we must never forget that all of the Christian life, all of our discipleship is a gift of grace. It's not our works. It's not our effort. It's not what we can accomplish. It's what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. And so we are fasting and praying for Jesus. But a very encouraging truth, that statement that Jesus makes right before He dies also says that Jesus is fasting to be with us. In Matthew chapter 26, this is the Last Supper, Jesus says to His disciples, this is my, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
I was talking about this with my wife, and she's like, well, what does that even mean? Jesus has a glorified body. How does he eat? Is he, is he actually even hungry? And I was like, those are wonderful questions, babe, and I don't know the answer to that. It sharpened my thinking, though. What's happening is that Jesus is deliberately delaying the final banquet. This, is a, this idea of a final banquet at the end to celebrate all that Jesus has done, he has not started the banquet without us. He's not drinking the fruit of the wine until everybody gets home. In fact, he is praying for us to be with him. He's not just like, well, I did my job. I hope you guys have a good time down there. He is intimately acquainted with our sufferings and our sorrows. And as we're seeking for the kingdom to come and we're praying for him, he's standing there ready saying, I'm not distracted by the celebration that's to come. I'm right there focused on you, with you, and for you. That's the good news. We're not doing this alone. We're not doing it in our own strength. I am with you till the end. And so, friends, I think this spiritual practice of fasting is a wonderful tool in our tool bag, if you want to use that metaphor. It's framed by self-denial. It cultivates humility. It helps us overcome evil. It gives us direction and power in our lives. It's always in conjunction with love. And we're actually doing it for, but also with Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would help us to long for you in a way that mirrors the way that you are longing for us to be with you. That we would not be distracted. that we would not get discouraged, we wouldn't lose heart, but that we would continue to pray and when and where appropriate to fast for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.